Welcome to the Storyteller Podcast. My name is Adam James, and I'm the writer and storyteller. Over time, I'm going to be sharing many tales with you. I'll do my best to bring my stories alive by adding sound effects and music. We're going to start with a sci-fi adventure called Arona. Now sit back, relax, and let's escape to another world. I didn't choose Arona. She chose me. In fact, I didn't even know she existed. When Arona calls, she doesn't give you a choice. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's start from the beginning. Let's start the moment Arona changed my life forever. The moment she suddenly sucked us all in. My head whipped back into my seat as the plane took another sharp dive downward to the right. This is crazy, said my brother Cubby. He had been sleeping in the seat next to me when it started and was struggling to fasten his seatbelt. My stomach turned as thick waves of panic began to wash over me. Turbulence didn't usually bother me, but this was totally different. Yeah, your dream come true, I said through the growing noise, trying to act like it was no big deal. Cubby smiled back menacingly. He loved this kind of stuff. Yeah, I'll have to tell Amanda once we land how bad this turbulence was. Maybe she won't be so angry with me that she wasn't invited. She's terrified of flying. Cubby's wife, Amanda, was furious with Cubby for going on this trip. She had just had their second child, a girl named Indy, and she really didn't want Cubby to leave. I'm actually surprised he still came. I've never met someone more obsessed with his family. He worships them. I guess the fear of missing out trumped his reluctance to come. These brother trips have always been so much fun in the past. It felt like the plane took another dive and sharp steep rolled to the left. Several people on our packed flight screamed as air mass tumbled from the ceiling. Bags and large suitcases spilled out of the overhead compartments, whacking some of the passengers. What is going on? asked my brother Drew. I'm trying to sleep here. Can you get some of these people to be quiet? He said jokingly. Just then a bag hit him in the head. Ah! If he was unaware of how bad the turbulence was, he sure knew now. He had been up all last night preparing the last details of our annual brother's trip. The four of us were headed to South Africa for a 10-day safari adventure, and Drew was in charge of planning this year's trip. Look! yelled Cubby, who was sitting next to the window. What had been a clear sunny day around noon was now pitch black with mysterious flashes of multicolored lights. We're going to hit the ground! My eyes were squeezed shut, but when I heard what he said, I opened them and turned my head toward the window in shock. I could see what looked like dark mountains through the blackness of the eerie night. The plane filled with screams as the captain pulled up hard. We all slammed against the back of our seats, and the serving cart came flying down the aisle past us. Just then, I heard a terrible screech of metal tearing apart behind me. My head slammed into the seat in front of me. I struggled to look behind and watched in horror as the back part of the plane tore off and several of the passengers, still attached to their seats and screaming, were sucked out into the blackness. The aircraft was being ripped apart. 
and it felt like we were skidding along the rocky mountainside. I saw the wings snap off like twigs as they collided into large trees. Dirt and debris sprayed through the shredded plane, whipping me in the face relentlessly. Rocks, branches, and luggage hurled past and struck other passengers. It all seemed to happen in slow motion. Something hard hit me in the head, and I lost consciousness. The next thing I knew, I woke up to a faint voice calling my name. Troy! 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 I started to open my eyes. Through my blurry vision, I could see my oldest brother, Jack, above me. His usually pale white-skinned face was black, blue, and swollen, with several deep cuts. He had been sitting in first class alone. Are you okay? Where does it hurt? Just as he said that, I could feel a throbbing pain coming from the side of my head. I felt a warm sensation on my abdomen and looked down to see my shirt soaked in blood. Jack saw it too and pulled up my shirt, exposing a deep, spewing gash. He quickly grabbed some of the nearby clothing that must have fallen out of one of the bags and applied pressure to the wound. Stay here and keep pressure on it, he said, pulling back his usually styled blonde wavy hair as a drip of dark blood trickled down his forehead. I've got to go find the others. Before I could say anything else, he stood up to start searching. Help! Help me! yelled out a familiar and panicked voice. It was coming from somewhere behind me. Cubby! Someone help us! We're stuck! I can't breathe! Jack climbed over the rock I was now leaning against and hurried over in his direction. I pushed myself up with one hand and continued to hold my stomach with the other as I struggled to climb up over the boulder towards them. They're pinned under this rock! Help me move it! yelled Jack as he pushed as hard as he could. I limped over to the large rock as quickly as I can and started to push. Hey, you guys, get over here and help us! shouted Jack at a few passengers who were watching in a daze. Okay, come on, everyone, push! Finally, we were able to push and lift the boulder enough for Cubby to squeeze out. The other passenger, who was trapped under the large boulder with him, didn't move or make a sound as we pulled her out. She must have either died in the crash or from the weight of the boulder crushing her. Cubby, are you okay? asked Jack. Yeah, yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine, said Cubby. I can't feel my foot, but... I'm, I'm fine, I, I think. He brushed himself off and tried to stand up, but fell back down with a muted grunt. Cubby was used to getting hurt. He had over 20 surgeries, most of them because of self-inflicted injuries due to some extreme sport or extreme daring. More like stupidity. I don't even think he knew what pain was anymore. Luckily, he had such a strong and sturdy frame, he was able to wear his never-ending fearlessness and utter disrespect for life. Where's Drew? asked Cubby. Is he okay? I haven't found him yet. I'm going to go look more. I'll go this way. Troy, you go that way. He rushed off, leaving me with Cubby. Can you walk, Cubby? I asked. Not really, but I don't manage. He stumbled to his feet and began using his hands and good foot to move through the wreckage. Yell out if you find him. I frantically searched through the charred and scattered debris, fearful that the next suitcase or debris I turned over would reveal Drew's dead body. Five minutes went by, and still nothing. Finally, the gash on my stomach stopped bleeding. Please help me, said a frantic woman's voice, pulling on my ribbed shirt. I quickly turned around to find a child in her hands, moaning in pain. Please pull it out. I can't get it out. He can't breathe. Pull it. I was in shock and reluctantly put my fingers around the piece of cold, twisted metal stuck in his chest. I I can't. I'm not a doctor. I I can't. He's going to die. Pull it out. She pleaded as the boy moaned and closed his eyes while coughing up a froth of blood. I turned my head to look away while quickly pulling it out. 
I felt my face go flush, and almost fainted as hot red blood gushed out from the cracks underneath my hands while I tried to cover the exposed wound. The boy's body convulsed before he let out a sigh, and the life faded from his rolled-back eyes. "'I'm sorry. I'm so sorry,' I said, my voice breaking as the boy's body went limp, and the woman started to cry out in anguish. My knees buckled, and I threw up. I wiped the sick from my mouth before forcing myself to stand back up. I have to find Drew. I continued to see terrible things. Dead men, women, and children, some still engulfed in flames. Body parts and blood were everywhere. The sound of hundreds of badly injured and dying survivors filled the dark, smoky air. Many of them were wailing, mourning the loss of their loved ones, while others laid helplessly in pain and shock. A terrible sadness and desperation started to fill my thoughts. My baby brother, one of my best friends. I was seeing so much suffering, and every minute that went by meant that I might have lost my youngest brother. Hey, Troy! Troy! Come help me with her! yelled out a familiar voice. I looked up and saw Drew dragging a large, traditionally dressed African woman. I gasped a huge sigh of relief at the sight of him. I ran over and hugged him. What are you doing? He said, not moving as I embraced his large frame. Grab her legs. I'm going to drop her. She's heavy. He gave me a smile. His eyes revealed his relief to see me. He was never one to show much emotion. You okay? We thought you might be dead, I said. Nah, I'm fine. You think I'd let you guys go on a trip of plan without me? You like it so far? He said with a laugh. Despite the horrible circumstances, I couldn't help but sort of laugh with him as I shook my head. His familiar, dark sense of humor was strangely comforting. (laughs) You're crazy, man. I'm just glad you're alive. Yeah, I'm fine. Are you okay? Have you seen Jack and Cubby? He asked, his smile quickly fading, his usually deep voice exposing great concern as he noticed I was covered in blood. Yeah, we're all fine. Just minor injuries, I think. He said nothing, nodding in relief as he bent down to once again pick up the crying woman. Small debris fire continued to burn all around us. I looked down and could see a huge, deep gash across Drew's right leg, soaking his shoes in blood. He looped his arms around the back of the woman and locked his hands across her chest while I grabbed her feet. I noticed his hand was wrapped in a blood-soaked rag. Wait, hold on, put it down for a sec, said Drew. He sat down and unwrapped the rag. Drew, your finger, I said, my mouth dropping open. You're missing one, man. He quickly rewrapped the rag to apply more pressure. Yeah, it looks bad, I know. No worries he said nonchalantly, holding up his hand in the flickering light. I'll bandage it up properly as soon as we get her over to her son. Come on, let's go. Drew's definitely the mountain man of the family, a true survivor. I guess growing up with three older brothers who are always beating on him helped him become who he is. At about six foot two and a muscular 200 pounds, our little baby brother was now bigger and tougher than any of us. His idea of fun was being dropped off in the middle of nowhere with nothing and left for dead. He is passionate about survival skills and really enjoys testing his limits. Jack! Cubby! I found Drew! Jack came running over. I thought we lost you, little brother, he said, grabbing Drew by the upper arm and pulling him in for a hug. You're okay? (laughs) Yeah, I'm okay, considering our plane just crashed into a mountain. Just then, the man next to us started to yell in horror in English as he uncovered the body of his dead wife. After a moment of joy, we were quickly jolted back into our terrible situation. Many of the passengers were injured so severely that they would most likely die without immediate medical attention and medicine. 
We could only hope that the rescue would be coming for us soon. I'd never experienced anything like this. My hands wouldn't stop trembling, and several times I felt so sick that I almost threw up again. It was like we were in a war zone. What could have happened? Drew! Ah, oh, you're okay. Where have you been? Asked Cubby, limping over through the firelit darkness. Looking for you idiots, Drew replied with a smile, using humor again to try and cope. I think we should try and make some kind of cover with the debris for the night. It's starting to rain a little, and we're not going to be able to see anything once these small fires die out. I was still in shock as he picked up a big piece of twisted metal and leaned it on the boulder where the woman and her son now laid, shielding them from the growing drizzle. Good idea, I said, looking around for a good place to stop. The overwhelming smell of jet fuel burned my nostrils. Pain shot up and down my body, and my head throbbed. I tried not to think about it much. I was running purely on adrenaline as we hurried to make shelter of the night, helping as many of the others as we could. I'd probably still be laying down in pain and shock if it wasn't for my brothers. They kept me going and reminded me to keep moving. The rain was coming down in heavy sheets now, and the sound drowned out the noise of the cries from the dying passengers, the ones we couldn't help. The downpour had quickly put out all the small fires from the wreckage, making it impossible to see and continue. All we could do was huddle together and try and stay warm and dry until the sun came up. Look, said Drew, his eyes fixed upwards. I peered out from beneath the piece of wreckage that sheltered me from the rain. Lightning crisscrossed across the sky in a horizontal pattern, forming an unnatural web of bright blue high above us. I tried to piece together what could have happened. Three hours into a flight over the Atlantic, from Atlanta to Johannesburg, and the sky had gone eerily black with mysterious flashing lights like the ones above us now. Our plane had gone instantly from about 30,000 feet to sliding along the side of a mountain. How did something like that even happen? I couldn't think about it anymore. My eyes became heavy and I drifted off, hoping to wake up to a rescue team that would end this nightmare. That's it for the very first edition of the Storyteller Podcast. I hope you'll continue on to Chapter 2, where the survivors start to explore the mysterious world of Arona.